Ah, sure, if you didn't do it for God, who would you do it for, eh? How you doing? You well this uh, Wednesday afternoon? El Scorchio Tremendo once again in Salford, in sunny Salford. My name is Richie Allen, otherwise known as the BBG. Welcome to your programme. It's the BBG, not the BBC. You're listening to the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford in Greater Manchester. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. A little bit later on this hour, I'll be joined by the great Paul Craig Roberts. Yes, one-time U.S. Assistant Treasury Secretary. Paul is a big cheese. Paul is a huge cheese. Did you hear me? Yes, he served under Ron, of course, Ronald Reagan. Lots to talk about with Paul. And you can tweet me, BBG Richie is the moniker, is the thing. Tweet the bejesus out of me between now and the end of the programme. About 90 minutes or thereabouts today, I think. And as always, I'm, I'm, I'm eternally grateful to you for your company. Thanks for choosing The Richie Allen Show. There are many you could choose from, but you choose this one. Yes, it's Scorchio, and it's tiring, isn't it, this this hour of the day? It's tiring, the heat, because we're not accustomed to it. That's about the size of it there. And it you do get a bit tired, but then I come alive at five o'clock. Frampton comes alive, eat your heart out. BBG comes alive at five. Yes, indeedy. Shall we just get straight into the old news roundup then? Got some funny stuff coming up for you. Well... I don't know if it's funny anymore, but some interesting stuff coming up. Madness reigns. Just before I opened the microphone a moment ago, I saw a story on the Mail Online that made me laugh. And it's about the King of Prussia Inn, which is known as the Prusch to its regulars. This pub, the King of Prussia, see, the King of Prussia Inn is in Kingsbridge in Devon. That's a nice part of the world. Have you been there, Baldy? No, but I've been to Devon, and it is a nice part of the world. So the King of Prussia, the Prusch, is in the picturesque riverside town of Kingsbridge in Devon, and the landlady there, well, she's come she's come into a bit of attention, so she has, because she's um, been defending a new locals-only policy. She's banned tourists from the inn. Yes, because... She says she can't meet social distancing guidelines. So tourists are not welcome. Locals are. Sarah Robertson left the chalkboard A-frame on the street outside to tell holidaymakers, well, to piss off, basically. (laughs) And that you're not welcome at the inn. What would the baby Jesus say? Anyway, the sign reads, Locals only, due to restrictions by Boris, he... Boris has made a small pub smaller. The sign goes on to say, due to the small capacity, we can only accommodate our locals. Ma'an Colleen, good girl. We would say in Ireland, look after your locals and your locals will look after you. After the boys of summer have left, eh? You're only left with your locals, really. Poor old Sarah, she's getting fed up because now tourists are flocking to the pub to take pictures of the sign. (laughs) You just couldn't make it up. Yeah, it just tickled me that. 
tickled me so it did. That's on the Mail Online this afternoon. How are you, incidentally, by the way? How are you coping with things? Did you see the Governor of West Virginia, Jim Justice? Now, what a name that is. That's his real name. The Governor of West Virginia is Jim Justice. And Jim Justice is trying to round up the unvaccinated. He's trying to round up, well, the refuseniks. Yes, he's gotten a posse together. And Jim Justice is offering guns, scholarships, trucks, new trucks, as incentives to boost vaccine uptake in his state. Ding, diddling, 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 ding, 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 ding. So if you get vaccinated in Jim Justice's West Virginia, you, uh, well, you'll go into a lottery, into a draw, where you could win a custom outfitted trunk, lifetime hunting and fishing licenses, and hunting rifles. Yes. And there's also a $1.5 million grand prize, a second prize of $588,000 and scholarships to any higher education institution in the state. Yes. Yes. Really. Really. He was inspired, no doubt, by Ohio. Mike DeWine, the governor of Ohio, Mike DeWine, he's given away a million dollars a week. And the only way to get into that lottery is to roll up your sleeve and to be stuck by the poison. Not to be outdone, Jim Justice. Love that name. Jim is offering guns. <laughs> now, that being said, we may very well end up with a world's first, if you think about it. A vaccinated person, frustrated at life not going back to normal, might shoot an unvaccinated person with a gun that they won in Jim Justice's vaccine lottery. Fantastic. Give all the jabbed, give the jabbed a gun so they can go and hunt down the unjabbed. Fan-dabby-dozy. Fan-dabby-dozy. Let's move on. Uh, the UK vaccine minister Nadim Zahawi said yesterday, he was talking yesterday about today, the G7 countries, well, we should all work together to fight vaccine misinformation. The UK is the current president of the G7. It has the presidency and is hosting today uh, the first ever global vaccine confidence summit. That's the one. Zahawi said the summit would set ambitious goals to ensure that the trust in vaccines remains high. They're a bit worried that increasing numbers of people don't trust the vaccines. So they're having a vaccine confidence summit. How do we increase people's confidence? Well, just ask Jimmy Justice. Ask Jimmy Justice. Just do a lottery, basically. And people will, well, they'll lose their inhibitions. Seemingly, I don't know. Writing in The Independent... Zahawi, the vaccine minister, claimed that in our interconnected world, misinformation unfortunately now travels many times faster than the virus. <laughs> misinformation is travelling faster than the virus with no respect for borders. Factual inaccuracy, scepticism, lies and full-blown conspiracy theories all undermine the trust necessary to step up and take the jab. Like a man. Step up and take the jab. Be a man or be a woman. That's Nadim Zahawi writing in The Independent yesterday. Bit of an Egypt, really. So today, Matt Hancock, uh, Gebreyesus, Tedros Gebreyesus from the WHO, the, the, the top man, they're speaking about vaccine confidence. What, we can, what can we do? 
to fight misinformation about vaccines. Of course, the truth is, what they really want to do is prevent real information from real scientists, real, real, real academics getting to the public. Bakhti, Dolores Kahl and many others. Spike proteins, pathogenic priming. That's the sort of stuff they don't want you to find out because if you do, you're very unlikely to take the vaccines or vaccine. Well, it will be vaccines, won't it? Because they want you to be taking vaccines every few months for the rest of your lives, your short lives, if you take the vaccines. Um, the, I noticed this today. I don't watch much television. The Tudor drama, Anne Boleyn. That's Anne Boleyn who lost everything from the neck up when old Henry got pissed off of her. So the Tudor drama Anne Boleyn was on Channel 5 last night. When it was announced some time ago, there was conniptions, controversy, at the choice of a black actress to play Boleyn. I didn't watch it, of course. Channel 5 is pound shop telly. I wouldn't be caught dead watching Channel 5. I've never watched anything on it, ever. So I don't know if the black actress Jodie Turner-Smith is any good, really, but I do know that Anne Boleyn wasn't black. So answers on a postcard as to why young Jodie was chosen to play Anne Boleyn. Imagine if Jessica Chastain was to be cast as the great Rosa Parks. Imagine the ginger-haired, porcelain-white Jessica Chastain with her sexy little freckles was to be cast as Rosa Parks. The screams would break every glass window on planet Earth. Yeah, at least I think so. It's ten minutes past five o'clock. You're with the Richie Allen Show. So June the 21st, then stage four of Boris Johnson's roadmap. It's when everything is supposed to go back to normal. But we can't figure out what's going to happen because scientists are saying, well, maybe we shouldn't open things up on June 21st. Maybe we should delay it by a month because of the Indian variant, which I think might be called the Delta variant now. I'm not sure. Anyway, Boris Johnson was out and about today. What did he have to say about it? UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson. I can see nothing uh, in the data at the moment that uh, means we can't go ahead with step four or the, the opening on June the 20, 21st, but we've got to be so cautious. What we need to work out is to what extent the vaccination programme has protected enough of us, particularly the elderly and vulnerable, against a new surge. And there, I'm afraid, the data is just still ambiguous. The best the scientists can, can say at the moment in, in their guidance to us is that we just need to give it a little bit longer. I'm, I'm sorry that's frustrating for people. I, I know that people uh, want a, a clear answer uh, about the, the way ahead for, for June the 21st, but at the moment we just got to wait a little bit longer. Longer. That's all I heard anyway. That was Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister there, speaking earlier on from, from a school, I think. And what about Oxford Professor John Bell? Now, he's one of Billy Poison Jab Gates's men. One of his foot soldiers is John Bell. He had a lot to do with the, with the project that eventually became realised as the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine. Well, speaking to the BBC this morning, Bell, a leading member, as I said, of that team, said it's time to move on, strangely enough, and he urged the government not to delay reopening the country because of emerging pesky COVID variants. As I said, Professor of Medicine at Oxford, and also Billy Poisonjab Gates, one of his captains, 
one of his capo regimes in the UK. He told Radio 4, if we scamper down a rabbit hole every time we see a variant, well, we ain't going anywhere. John Bell on Radio 4 this morning. If we scamper down a rabbit hole every time we see a new variant, uh, we're not. We're going to spend a long time uh, huddled away. So I think we do need to get a bit of balance in the discussion and keep our eyes on um, the serious disease that we're trying to prevent. Uh, this disease is here to stay probably forever, but we do need to move on and try and make sure we suppress the disease as much as possible around the world because otherwise we're just going to sit here and get slammed by repeated variants as they come in the door. Has John Bell and James Perloff ever been seen in the same place at the same time? They sound very much alike, don't they? Our old pal James Perloff was a great guy, by the way. Great, great guy. John Bell there. And speaking at Oxford University today, Health Secretary Matt Hancock said, wait for three quarters of all adults in the UK have had one jab now. Here's Hancock. The UK vaccination effort has without doubt been the best programme I've ever been involved with. It's been an honour. And I want to set out my thoughts why and why in this country we've managed to make the progress that we have. Of course, this isn't over until it's over everywhere. And while today I'll concentrate on the UK and the rollout here for which I'm responsible, we must also play our part in the global vaccination rollout. And I'll come on to the role that we're playing in that too. I'm very proud that we were able to deploy the first ever clinically approved COVID vaccine here in this country and delivered 60 million doses of three different vaccines into 39 million arms. As of midnight last night, I can confirm that we now have given a first dose of vaccine to three quarters of the adult population of the United Kingdom. Yes, three quarters. You did catch the initial bit of that audio, didn't you? The UK vaccination effort has without doubt been the best programme I've ever been involved with. It's the only programme he's ever been involved with. It's been an honour. And I want to set out my thoughts why and why in this country we've managed to make the progress that we have. Yeah. Of course, this isn't over until it's over everywhere. Now, this is important. We talked a lot about this over the last few months, but there was a lot of this around today. This is this is going to be the next thing. You think the next thing will be never-ending scariance. The never-ending scariance. La, la, la. Right, you think that, right? We'll get over the B121613 variant, and then the C2P3PO variant will come in, right? Yeah, yeah, but the next thing is, well done, UK, you've all had your vaccines, but you're going to have to wait now until they get them in Pilau. Pilau, that's the most remote country I could think of. Easter Island. Easter Island, they haven't been vaxxed. You're going to have to wait. This is going to be the new thing. It ain't over till everybody is vaxxed. I can even, they can even rework a great Michael Jackson song. Vax the world, make it a better place for you and for me and the entire human race. But there are people dying. Your jabs are killing people. That's where it's going to be now. Scariance. Yes, yes, scariance for sure. But, well done now. Now, we, 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 we kind of had to keep you a little bit in the dark there, UK, 67 million people. It, it was the only way we could operate. Uh, you're not going anywhere for a while. 
Why is that? Well, I just told you. Pillow, Easter Island, the Garden of Gethsemane, and all those other places where we haven't vaxxed them all yet. It's not over till everybody is vaxxed. Yes. Speaking of variants... Speaking of vaccinating the world, I mean... (laughs) Speaking of vaccinating the world, Hancock continues. But it ain't over yet. And this project was never just about investing in a vaccine for the UK. It's about a vaccine for the whole world. And as the global debate, including here at the G7, increasingly turns to how to vaccinate the whole world, I passionately believe that the single biggest contribution we can make is this vaccine safe and effective at cost. I'm delighted, too, that Pfizer have said they'll deliver at cost to low-income countries and pay tribute to Albert Burla for that decision. Right here at the Jenner, the holy trinity of academia, industry and government came together to invest in the research, to develop and deliver the vaccine, and we should be so proud that this vaccine has now been delivered to 168 different countries across the world. Mm, Yes, at cost. That's the next stage for these people now, these lunatics is getting vaccines to every farthest farthest corners of planet Earth. Anyway, back to variants. We'll we'll finish with Hancock with this variance. And there is yet more to do. The work isn't over yet. We're still procuring all the time and planning what we need to keep this country safe, including new vaccines specifically targeted at variants of concern. And I can tell you today that we've started commercial negotiations with AstraZeneca to secure a variant vaccine, future supplies of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine that have been adapted to tackle the B1351 variant first identified in South Africa. This is incredibly bizarre now. Uh, and, And I hope you've been paying attention for the last few weeks. What he just said there is bizarre. Listen back to it. He said, we've just agreed with the Oxford AstraZeneca team and AstraZeneca, the big pharmaceutical company, to produce vaccines to take on a variant and bizarrely the South African variant, just for confirmation. Today that we've started commercial negotiations with AstraZeneca to secure a variant vaccine, future supplies of the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine that have been adapted to tackle the B1351 variant first identified in South Africa. Now, do you know there was an assembled media there and none of the mutated fungi, none of the dickless or cervixless journalists had the courage to ask him, but this South African thing, nobody has this. You've been telling us that the dominant strain is the Indian strain or the Delta strain, so why would you be spending fucking millions or even billions with AstraZeneca to develop a variant jab for the South African strain. None of them asked him. We really are living in some fucking Twilight Zone world. It's insane. He goes on. Once again, we're leading the way and backing projects with potential so we can keep our vaccination programme one step ahead of the virus and protect the progress that we've all made. What a madman. What a madman. This should be... Headline news, and it isn't. He said that they're doing a deal with AstraZeneca Oxford to get a new jab to specifically target the South African variant, which seemingly nobody has, by by their own admission. But we're going to do it anyway. 
Wow. We're going to take a tune. When we come back, we'll hear some good old-fashioned silliness from the World Health Organization in the guise of a guy called David Nabarro. Because this is your Richie Allen radio show, live from sunny Salford, El Scorchio Tremendo. I'm Richie Allen, the BBG, 20 minutes past five. This is the great Bob Seeger, one of the best songs I've ever heard in my life. This is Roll Me Away, Roll Me Away. From the album The Distance... I'll regret it for the rest of my life not going to see him in the United States, but it was the right thing to do a couple of years ago, even though I had the blessing of her, her indoors. Gave me her blessing, so she did. 24 minutes past five, the Richie Allen Radio Show, Salford Bound. That's where I am, I'm in Salford. In case you don't know, if you're listening from, well, you could be listening anywhere. The programme is picked up in over 100 countries, believe it or not. So wherever you happen to be, Look for Salford. It's a great place, great city, built by the Irish. Sure was. Before we move on and hear from this guy in the barrow from the World Health Organization, Quentin Letts writes for the Daily Mail. And he's written for many publications over the years. Opinion pieces. He's a feature writer and he, ha- he has had books published of his columns. I interviewed him a couple of times during my time in Spain on Talk Radio Europe. And he's an all right type of guy, you know. He's a conservative. He's all right, I suppose. I don't know. Um, He tweeted out earlier on, and he's taken a little bit of stick for it. He has been accused of telling porky pies. But I would be surprised if this is a lie. He said in a tweet, he said, A friend's son, 10, uh, plays in a Herefordshire boys football league. If anyone shouts, man on... The ref blows his whistle and gives a free kick. They are told they must say, person on. Now, if you've never played football or soccer, as you Americans say, in your life, it's customary, if you are playing yourself and you're part of a team of 11, 11 other players, 11 other men or women, it's customary if your teammate receives the football at his or her feet, and there is an opponent standing on top of them, you would alert them by shouting, man on! Behind you, or man on, right? He claims that when boys shout man on, things have gone so crazy now, right? Uh, Things have gone so woke that the ref will blow the whistle and say, no, it's got to be gender neutral. That's a free kick the other way. Do it again, son! And you're going in the book. It's person on, allegedly. I don't know. Quinton Letts, I would believe it because things have gone so mad, haven't they? Things have become so silly. Anywho, let's talk a little bit about David Nabarro. He's a madman. And he is the special envoy on COVID-19 for the World Health Organization. He is a fixture, particularly on Sky News, and has been for the last 15 months. Doom and gloom, Mr. Doommonger. They bring him on to say that everything, well, everything is shit, really. It doesn't matter how few debts you have. It doesn't matter how few people are in hospital. David is always on hand to say, oh, hang on there now. The virus could come back. He was on Sky News this morning with Adam Bolton. That's Adam Bunter Bolton to you. Where is the world now in dealing with this pandemic? Asked Adam Bolton. And here's David Nabarro with the answer to that question. It's good stuff, this. In the world as a whole, 
I have to say that the pandemic is raging. It's moving <laughs> not just across countries, but it's actually getting into some of the more rural areas. What? And Let's start that again now. How are we doing now in the world, David? How is the world doing in terms of COVID? In the world as a whole, I have to say that the pandemic is raging. It's moving not just across countries, but it's actually getting into some of the more rural areas. And what we've seen with the virus is it once it gets into a community, it tends to stay there right, uh, and it's quite hard to get rid of unless we can actually isolate people with the disease. And that's difficult in poorer uh, rural communities. So, it, you know, even though we don't read about it all the time, this is very much causing extreme suffering. Now, in the UK, there's been the most wonderful success with a really excellent vaccine rollout programme. Wonderful. Um, and, and I'm very, very pleased to see the way in which that's been done. And that has to be uh, looked at in the combination with real efforts by British people to stop this virus from spreading by maintaining physical distancing, wearing masks, isolating when they're sick, and also practising really good hygiene. Mm, practice your hygiene now. So he said that he, he's really worried about around the world. The virus is, I think he said the virus is raging, didn't he? In the world as a whole, I have to say that the pandemic is raging. <laughs> Fucking idiot. Right. <laughs> so, so once they got over that, Adam Bolton asked him, how concerned are you about the situation here, David, in light of the fact that yesterday the government said nobody died of, of the virus at all. And there's less than 800 people across the country in hospital with the virus. How worried are you about it here, he was asked. And I suppose the only concern that anybody in my position has to state is it's always the most dangerous moment when you're managing an infectious disease as you get that curve coming right down to zero. This is the most dangerous moment now. Nobody's sick. Nobody's in hospital. You might say 800 people are in hospital, but remember, they're testing these people with the thoroughly debunked PCR test. So a fraction of those people actually have COVID, whatever COVID is. So let's say nobody in hospital, nearly, nearly nobody in hospital. Nobody is dying. Nobody is sick. Where are the bodies? And, you know, it's time that we just basically just forget the whole thing and just get back to January 2020. No. It's at that point that if you release, if you release your precautions too quickly, then a spike will come back up. And given that we've got new variants, particularly variant Delta, in, in the UK, we have to be doubly careful. So my only suggestion to everybody is uh, please continue to treat this virus with respect. It hasn't actually become any less dangerous. So so treat it with respect. Maintain the physical distancing and mask wearing as much as you possibly can. There's nothing to be gained from perceiving that bravado will somehow beat the virus. It doesn't work like that. Where did they find these dickheads? Don't get excited when deaths and hospitalizations disappear. Don't get excited when nobody's getting ill or even contracting this virus. Show a little respect for the virus because it can come back. They should name the variants, not Delta, Alpha, Papa, Mama, whatever the bloody hell. Name them after horror film monsters, the Jason Voorhees variant, the Freddy Krueger variant. This goes on and it gets worse. And again, I'd like you to note always 
the ineptitude of the useless fat fucker that is Adam Bolton, who just sits there and never interjects once. Listen to this. Well, I'm worried. And I'm worried. He's really worried. Because this virus has shown that it has an uncanny ability to adapt and to indeed become even more unpleasant. My God. Uh, over time. And so the what we're seeing is from time to time, new variants of the virus appear. And, and, and the ones that worry us are the variants that can spread more easily, the variants that might cause more extreme disease, but most seriously, the variants that might be able to beat the protection that's offered by vaccine. Uh, right now, I don't think we have any major vaccine-beating variants on the horizon. But but what, but, but. But, but what I'm going to say is that will almost certainly happen sooner or later. Yeah. There isn't any variant that beats the vaccines now, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Remember what I said earlier on? They're talking the variants up now, but the variants will give way to global vaccination uptake. That's going to be the big thing now. You'll hear this more and more and more. It ain't over until it's over. It isn't over until every country in the world has the herd immunity uh, given to it by the vaccine rollout in that country. You and I both know it's bollocks, is that herd immunity can only be achieved naturally through people getting viruses and getting little bugs naturally, getting over them quickly and gaining T-cell immunity. We know this to be a fact. But they're going to harp on and on and on about this about this overseas thing. It's no good vaccinating the UK, getting everybody vaccinated. It's got to be the entire world before we can say that this pandemic has gone away. So uh, just keep an eye on that. By the way, do uh, check out my website, richieallen.co.uk. I was beavering away with it today, posting articles, some interesting, some not. Check them out. Uh, to the tweets now. My Twitter handle is BBGRitchie. Just before the tweets, I had a nice email from Linda. Linda Thorne. How you doing, Linda? Richie, she says, love the show, but I'm concerned that Boris and his cronies are destroying our country. Once the economy has been ruined, Johnson, sidestepped by him, and another crony will step in. When do the people say no more? We're still allowing illegal immigrants into the country, as well as destroying our economy. He is lying to the British people. A scoundrel, says Linda. Well, you won't get any arguments from me there, Linda. Look, a number of publicans and industry leaders, I suppose you'd call them, uh, have taken to the airwaves in this country in recent days to say they can't get staff. Laura Layton, the lovely Laura from the Railway Inn in Moberly, said to me, I think she's a bit better now, but a, a week or so ago she said, I'm struggling to get staff to fill the shifts. And one of the reasons for this is, one of the reasons for this is, is that staff are currently furloughed. They're being paid 80% of their wages to sit at home on their hairy holes and do nothing. For many of them, that's a nice life, that. You know, it's better than working double shifts at a pub. So what's the problem with that? Well, here's the problem. Weatherspoons, and, and it, he's, he's just one of the people, 
Weatherspoons is calling for what's the guy's name? Weatherspoons, Tim something or other, isn't it? Let me bring it up there because I want to get this spot on. I don't want to misquote anybody. Um, what's his surname? Tim, Tim, Tim. Weatherspoons, Tim Martin. That's the guy. I've just brought it up there now before you jumped in with your big clod heel boots on you. Um, Weatherspoons boss, uh, Tim Martin has been calling for more European Union migration to tackle the staff shortage. Now, this is the real insanity of this particular situation in pubs, in restaurants and cafes. Workers, so a lot of European Union workers, pissed off to Europe when all of this began last last winter, right? Late last winter, early spring. And, of course, you have a lot of ethnically British people, people born in Britain, who work in pubs as well, but they've been furloughed. As I said, they've been earning 80% of their wages sitting around. And they're happy not to go back to work. And while they're happy not to go back to work, owners like Tim Martin are saying, well, let's let in a whole pile of European Union workers to take those jobs. So what's going to happen to the furloughed people? I don't need to fill in the blanks. Do you understand where I'm going with that? It's bizarre, that. Uh, thanks for your email there, by the way, Linda. I appreciate it greatly. If you want to contact me during the programme, off Twitter, you can do so through the website. I get hundreds of emails a day through the website. That's a fact. In fact, I'm underselling it. It's many hundreds of emails. I can't get to answer all of them. But during the programme, I am looking at it. So if you want to send me a quick email with a comment, if you don't do Twitter, we can, we, you know, I can read them out. Uh, quite easily there. Paul Craig Roberts will be with me in about two and a half minutes time. I'm looking forward to Paul. Hi to Patricia in Zurich. How are you doing, Patricia? Uh, David says, um, one day, Richie, Adam Bolton's mask will fall and he'll start reciting Vogon poetry. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe he will. Hi to Brown. Hi to Norfolk Darren. How are you doing? Who says, hay fever will soon be raging in many parts of Western Europe, says Darren. Wink, wink. Thanks, Darren. Hi to Graham C. Hi to Caroline, who says, Richie, what a load of shite. With everyone using that anti-back crap for the last 10 years, no one is dirty anymore, says Caroline. Thanks, Caroline. Alan says, Richie, it's raging. How does David Nabarro know this then? Is Davy Doom out there in his biosuit, ninjaing about, testing and jabbing? Probably not. He spends most of his days on UK television. Speaking of um, nonsense around around gender-neutral language, Kieran says, Richie, I'm not surprised concerning the terminology used at the football game. The simulation management game football manager subtly changed man of the match to player of the match a few years ago. Thank you so much, Kieran. Time for another tune then. While I welcome Paul Craig Roberts to the programme, he's on US Central time today. All very mysterious. Great guy, former US Assistant Treasury Secretary, PaulCraigRoberts.org. Lots to get into after Jackie Wilson. 19 minutes to the top of the air. Jackie Wilson, higher and higher. What a tune that is. Inside the Richie Allen Radio Show, live from Salford, drive time this Wednesday afternoon. Um, We don't do kiss ass and ear, but I love my guest this hour. Love reading him. PaulCraigRoberts.org is a fantastic writer. 
great author as well. He's an economist, of course, and as you well know, he's a former US Assistant Treasury Secretary. It's always a pleasure to welcome back the one and only Paul Craig Roberts, who's looking suitably tanned there on video. How are you doing, Paul? Just fine, Richie. You look Glad great. With you. Uh, the pleasure is ours. Thanks for coming on. You look fantastic. Lots to get into. We'll talk about the Putin-Biden summit. Brilliant piece on that, reflecting back on the Trump-Putin meeting from 2018 and what happened after that. We'll get into that in a moment. But I wanted to, um, I wanted to ask you first, because I've, I've bashed old Trump probably too much over the last few years, but doesn't he deserve a bit of credit, Donald Trump, when it comes to the origin of coronavirus? People who called him a crazy, stupid, lunatic conspiracy theory for suggesting it might have leaked out of a laboratory... Those same people are now telling us that it leaked out of a laboratory. Is anybody going to apologise to former President Trump, do you think? <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, of course, everything was used against him because the establishment wanted to get rid of him. Uh, so it didn't matter what the facts were. <laughs> uh, if They just would uh, use everything against him. So um, that uh, was Trump's fate. He... Uh, did not represent establishment positions. You know, he talked about ending NATO, uh, making friends with Russia, uh, bringing the jobs home. All of this uh, was an affront to the uh, ruling establishment in the United States. No doubt about that. We've covered that extensively in uh, in conversations we've had this year, so we can leave that there. I have a lot of sympathy with a lot of what you have to say. I think maybe Trump was naive. I think maybe he realised at some stage in 2016 what he was up against, maybe, you know, in terms of the, the limitations of the office because of the special interests and, and everything else. But anyway, folks, go to paulcraigroberts.com. The independent media is more important now than ever. And once in a blue moon, Paul asks for help. Um, and I, I know this month he's reminded his readers it's time to uh, cough up a couple of books if you can. So paulcraigroberts.org, if you read Paul as I do, send him a couple of books. I'll be doing it myself later on, paulcraigroberts.org. Paul, again, before we come back to Putin, let's, let's stay with something that I know is a big deal for you, as it is for me. And it is um, the death of truth and the indoctrination of children in schools in your country, which you've written brilliantly about in an article called Without Truth There Is No Freedom. And how children are being taught things like they are inherently racist and inherently bad and that they should have guilt in their hearts for things that might have happened 200 years ago that they couldn't possibly be responsible for. This is far more serious than just culture wars, isn't it? This is really important. (laughs) Yes, it is. And in fact, it is a culture war in the sense that it's uh, designed to get rid of white civilization, of white values. For example, uh, merit, meritocracy, that you uh, get where you're going in life based on your own hard work and your, and your merit. Uh, they're getting rid of that, for example. Um, and they're substituting for that uh, what they call equity. But equity is only for black people. And it means that they are preferred because of their skin color. And so you see here uh, the substitution of uh, 
aristocratic privilege for merit. In other words, it's a it's an overthrow uh, of the Enlightenment and the whole notion of uh, getting rid of uh, privilege, the privilege of the aristocracy, and instead having people rise based on their personal merit instead of their uh, status. Well, we're now bringing back status, and this is the whole purpose of the white liberals in the United States, is to reestablish status, preferment based on status, your skin color. And if you're white, you're not preferred because you are a racist and you're responsible for all the sins in the world. But if you're black, you, you have been uh, uh, persecuted and abused and, and, and so you are privileged to advance based on that. So this is what it's all about, and it's, uh, it's now institutionalized in the universities, in all of the public school systems of the blue states, and in some of the local uh, school systems controlled by Democrats in red states that have not yet uh, forbidden this teaching uh, in law. Uh, it's also uh, in part of uh, corporate uh, policies. If you work for a corporation, you have to take sensitivity training in which you, you are told that you're a racist and that you're responsible for the fact that blacks have not advanced as far as whites and that essentially you have to get out of the way blacks. And it's also now with Biden uh, in, incorporated in the military so that the troops have to go listen to this. So in effect, there's been a coup and it's an anti-white coup. And they're clear about it. It's perfectly clear. They don't, uh, the New York Times also has institutionalized it in the 1619 project. So essentially we have a coup. If you're right, Paul, and I'm not saying you're not right because I see a lot of what you're saying, this is not being driven by black people. So this is a really strange thing to kind of come to terms with. It's being driven by white people. Why, why is that? Oh, uh, Richard, that's... Uh, I don't think we have time to get in, yeah. into that. Um, it's intellectual roots. That, uh, people who study it closely trace it back to uh, Jewish cultural Marxism brought from Germany. The Frankfurt School, right? The Frankfurt yeah, the School. Yeah. School brought yeah. to Columbia University in the 30s. It spread from there. It developed into critical race theory, which is essentially what they're now teaching in the school systems. And uh, it's essentially a uh, originally a, a Jewish Marxist import and taken up by the white American liberals. It's the official ideology today of the Democratic Party. It's, it's their position. It's the ideological position. You see a lot of it in the Labour Party in the UK as well. I interviewed 
a, a black gentleman on the program some time ago, and he he's a he was a former police officer, and I liked him, and I, he he certainly wasn't playing a victim. He, he wasn't playing the victim card, but he did say to I argued with him, so I put the points that you've just put to me, I put those points to him. It's what I do best, I argue, right? Even when I agree with you, I'll argue with you. So I argued with him and I said, look, come on, there's no evidence of this. And he said, Richie, you and your friends are in cloud cuckoo land if you don't believe that you would have some bias against people of colour. He said, Richie, if you were putting together a company, you've got the money, you've got the seed capital, you're looking for people to work with you, whether you like to admit it or not, Richie, you are going to favour people who look and sound like you. Now, that's a difficult one to argue against, Paul. Surely he has a point. I don't think it's at all difficult. Look, uh, what are the white liberals doing? <laughs> they're, they are, they're making the case uh, for black people against white people. Yeah. So, so the very fact of what's happening completely refutes what he told you. Well, before that, so, so he's saying predating this lunacy that you've just described, and I think it yeah. is lunacy, predating well, that, he said it was hard for a black guy to get ahead, or it was harder, before, before you laugh, now let me finish, and then I'll shut up and get out of your way. He said predating this cultural revolution, it really was a little bit more difficult for a black man or a black woman to get ahead, Richie, because by nature of the fact that we were so much the minority, like 3% or 4% of the population, you guys, white guys, would naturally favour each other. I, I, I don't want to just dismiss that totally out of hand. Over to you. Well, I would dismiss it out of hand because it's obviously false. Uh, what, what he's talking about is how many decades ago. I mean, look, we've been having... Uh, it's almost... Uh, uh, it's almost a since since 1930. It's almost a century that we've had uh, cultural Marxism. It's run rampant through the universities. Uh, what about the Jews? They're a much tinier percentage of the population than blacks, and yet they they dominate. They dominate everything. Uh, I think it's the fact that the presidents of all of the Ivy League universities, with one exception, is Jewish. And yet the only 2% of the population, 3%. Yeah, you mean, you mean the Jews are overrepresented in terms no, of I'm their percentage? Saying, I'm, just, yeah. I'm just saying, you know, if a white culture won't let people advance because they're a small percentage, uh, how come the Jews advanced? Jews have done better in the UK and in the United States than... Yeah than Africans but, have, or, or black. I totally agree with that. Why that is, well, that's another debate for another day. But you just said something to me that I want to take you up on. We've got loads yeah. of time, by the way, as much time as, as you have. We've got loads of time. I want to take you up on this. You said it's, these programmes came about in the 1930s, and as usual, you are right. But these programmes of, you know, um, giving minorities jobs ahead of Indigenous people or, or the dominant race, that's a fairly recent thing, Paul. That, hasn't, that wasn't going on in the 1970s and 1980s. That's a relatively recent thing. So my black friend... Oh, no, 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 you're wrong. It's been going on since the Civil Rights Act in 1965, 1964. I wrote an entire book about it. Um, the Civil Rights Act strictly prohibits uh, uh, racial quotas for blacks. But... 
the EEOC, the Equal Opportunity Commission that was uh, given the oversight of the legislation, they ignored the law and established by regulation the quota system. The fact that uh, you had to have uh, as many blacks admitted as were percent of the population. Right. You had to have as many blacks employed as were percentage of the population. This was all imposed by regulations in the 1960s. Was it it's implemented, been- Paul? Brilliant, brilliant answer. And I know you know your history better than anybody. Was yeah. it then implemented? That's the real question, isn't it? Was that implemented yes. by companies? Of course it was implemented. And uh, there were many uh, white challenges to it that failed. And so uh, you see what the EEOC bureaucracy uh, realized was that because of the New Deal in the 30s, the Roosevelt, um, the Congress had actually lost uh, the writing of the laws to the regulatory agencies. Congress would pass a statute, but the regulatory uh, agencies uh, would determine how the law was implemented by how they wrote the regulations. Right, okay. And this is what the what the EEOC did to the uh, 1964 Civil Rights Act. So yes, it was uh, almost immediately. I, I wrote an entire book documenting it. Uh, it, it. It's very strange because the book was highly praised by all, the, the, time. By all yeah. the liberals, the New York Times, the Washington Post. Uh, it was quite amazing. But now some of these same institutions now staffed by different people would probably declare you to be racist, which which you're not. I, 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 I certainly don't believe you are. I've had an email from a Jewish friend of mine who says, Jews do not dominate, Richie. I live in North Manchester in a big Jewish community. We certainly don't dominate anything. We're struggling just as much as everybody else. So that's a genuine email from a, from a Jewish um, friend of mine. Paul Craig Roberts is our guest. Here's a question for you, my friend. What did your former boss, uh, rest in peace, Ronald Reagan, what did he make of this? Did he have an opinion on this type of thing, these culture wars and positive discrimination? Um, Look, uh, Ronald Reagan had two main problems and two main goals. And one problem was the U.S. economy. We were suffering from what was called stagflation. Um, economic policy had ceased to work. We had both the inflation rate and the unemployment rate rising together. They had, they were terrified. They had no idea what to do. So that was one of his focuses. His other focus was uh, ending the Cold War. Uh, Reagan um, hated nuclear weapons. He spoke of those god-awful nuclear weapons. And he wanted to end the Cold War, and he couldn't figure out how to do it if he couldn't fix the American economy. This is the reason he adopted the supply-side policy. We were the only ones who had a solution to stagflation. And so when that worked and we stopped the simultaneous rise of inflation and unemployment, he said, oh, we fixed our economy. The Russians, they can't fix theirs. So now we can threaten them with an arms race and they'll have to come negotiate the end of the Cold War because they're busted. So that those were the two issues that occupied Reagan. He wasn't there was no time about the culture war. No, 
<laughs> so to him, this was the central. We had to fix the American economy or everything was lost, culture war or not. It wouldn't matter. There, there'd, there'd be nothing. Yeah. Before we blew each other up. I so hear that, you. I hear you, Paul. Yeah. There wouldn't have been anything left to fight for. Uh, Paul Craig Roberts is our guest. Here's a story that will... I suppose it, it enhances your argument, Paul, before we move on to talk about other important matters. You probably know this yourself because you keep an eye on what happens here in the UK. But the head of the Metropolitan Police, Cressida Dick, that's her name, um, she wants a change to be implemented to allow police forces to favour ethnic minority recruits over white people, even if they are equally as suitable for the job. So she's basically said to the police forces in London, right, if you've got a black candidate and you've got a white candidate and both of them are very good, choose the black candidate, she said. So that, you know, speaks to what what you were saying earlier on. It's not just in the US, it's here too. That's been going on in the United States now for what, uh, 60 years. And if you look, look how many uh, black police chiefs there are in the United States. Atlanta, Georgia, Minneapolis, uh, Chicago, Salem, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Portland, wherever you look. If you look, who is uh, the blacks can't get ahead? Oh, they can't get ahead. Well, who is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff? The black general. (laughs) I mean, it's all so stupid that anybody could believe that blacks are somehow um, prevented from rising. Can I put one final point to you on that before we talk about Putin? Because that's hugely important. Let me put one final point. Stop laughing. Our, our listeners can't see Paul. Paul is giggling away there. He can't see me because I don't have a camera on this computer in the studio. But let me put one question. So you mentioned, so you mentioned some very successful and seemingly powerful black men. Now, I heard another black gentleman on UK radio the other day, and he said that what you described there is tokenism. It's not meaningful in any way whatsoever. It's to convince people that everything is okay and that blacks are not held back. But he said they are being held back, and these positions that you see sometimes given out to blacks are tokenism. Final word to you on this subject. Well, look, uh, that's what he's brainwashed to think, isn't it? Yeah, but he might say you're brainwashed. All I say is he's been successfully brainwashed because that's what they're taught. So, but as you said, uh, the uh, chief of police in London, I think, a woman says, oh, we got to promote the blacks uh, over the whites. And in the United States, uh, you, you promote the black even if he's less qualified because he's not less qualified because he's black and that makes him more qualified. <laughs> so we now have uh, a status-based system. It's no longer based on merit. It's based on skin color. If you've got a dark skin color, you move to the front of the line. It's been that way in the United States for years. Okay, that is the final word on that. I'm a man of my word. Uh, and, and I do recommend folks go to paulcraigroberts.org read these articles because they're brilliantly written and well argued and that's an important point that we've lost the ability to debate you said this in another article last week we have lost the ability to listen to people with whom we might disagree now I happen to agree with you on 
many, many, many things, obviously. But there are things I don't see eye to eye. But I will always read you because of your experience. You've been around a bit longer than me. We've lost that ability to engage with people, clever people, with whom we might see things a bit differently. Check out paulcraigroberts.org. Brilliant article about Putin and, and the Biden meeting, Paul. And it was good to um, reflect on the Helsinki summit back in 2018, which we talked about quite a bit back then. Um, so you've asked, is Putin walking into a potential propaganda trap? Is he, do you think? Yes. Well, what other, what, what other explanation is there? You know, if it was treasonous for Trump to meet with Putin as the director of the CIA, John Brennan, declared, and as the entirety of the American media declared, why isn't it treasonous for Biden to meet with Putin? Yeah, unless, unless. The the answer is that uh, Trump was treasonous because he wanted to normalize relations with Russia to get these tensions reduced. These tensions are very dangerous. Uh, but why is Biden? He's meeting uh, with Putin in order to deliver a whole new round of accusations and threats <laughs> of more sanctions. I mean, he's meeting to tell Putin that uh, he uh, needs to stop poisoning people. He needs to give Crimea back to Ukraine. He needs to stop cyber attacks on the West. Uh, he needs to stop interfering in Western elections. So unless Putin says, yes, sir, I'm, I'll, I'll quit doing all those things, uh, Biden can say, well, look, the summit failed. He's unreasonable. He won't agree to stop poisoning people. He won't agree to stop invading other countries and so on and so on and so on. So it's OK for Biden to have a summit uh, when he's setting Putin up for another round of denunciations and another explanation of failure. You know, at some point, the Russians are going to have to understand that from the American standpoint, Washington standpoint, it's far more valuable to have Russia as the enemy than as a friend, because as an enemy, it supports the military security complex budget and all the power that goes with it and all the political Uh, campaign contributions that come back into the political system from the uh, defense contractors. Uh, It it keeps uh, NATO going. It keeps Europe in line. It prevents any European country from having independent foreign policy because of the Russian threat. So there's no way uh, the American establishment is going to let Biden have normal relations with Russia when they wouldn't let Trump have normal relations with Russia. So the summit can, what, what can it be? It can't be anything but a propaganda trap. If you and, know that to be true, and it might very well be true, so would Vladimir Putin, because whatever else he might be, and I don't know too much about him, he's certainly not stupid. So why would he allow himself to be used as a stooge by Biden's team uh, in that way? Oh, that's the question I keep raising. Yeah. What, how, how long before you catch on? <laughs> uh, I think that uh, what you can say about uh, 
the Kremlin, you know, Putin, Lavrov, is that they uh, understand the dangers of two nuclear powers having zero trust. Uh, if, if they had had zero trust during the original Cold War, we'd all be dead today. Yeah. Because there were endless numbers of false alarms of incoming ICBMs. It's just that both sides were working together uh, and didn't believe the false alarms. But today, with the high level of tensions, either side would believe a false alarm. So I think uh, the Russians are aware of this and uh, are doing, they're going beyond the call of duty to try to get the relationship in a sensible, uh, on a sensible basis. But of course, the military security complex in the United States with its $1,000 billion annual budget and all the power that goes with that, needs an enemy. Needs an enemy. Can and you... Russia is the enemy. How, how, can, how can the system we have here operate if we don't have an enemy? The but isn't that mutual now? Let me ask you this, Paul. Isn't that mutual? Isn't it equally as important for Putin and his cronies that they can point to the, to the West as a big potentially mortal enemy in order for him to stay in place and get things done his way. I mean, what's good for the goose, right? No, of course not. Look at the size of the Russian military security complex. It's minuscule. It's tiny. (laughs) It hasn't got any power or any authority, Uh, no money. They spend nothing compared to us. They don't have 700 military bases around the world. Fleets on every sea, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's absurd. No, but they have, but as you pointed what out, it does have nuclear what weapons. What are they trying to do? They're trying to develop their economy. They'd be happy not to have any defense expenditures. Who, who is trying to exercise hegemony in the world? The Russians? The United no. States, yeah. The United States. We proclaim it over and over and over and over. Do the Russians? No, they've never said it. So, you know, of course not. They, they, they're not served by this. They don't want an enemy. Fair enough. Over and over, we don't want. They say over and over. Look, it's so important. We get the situation where the tensions are reduced. That we'll go meet with people who insult us by the bucket full, who call our president a killer, a man without a soul. We don't care. We'll still go meet with them because it's more important to tamper down these high tensions. Now, I think that speaks very well of the Kremlin, very well of Putin and Lavrov. Uh, My concern has always been that their efforts are counterproductive because Washington concludes from this that nothing will upset them no matter what we do. And so we'll keep pushing and keep pushing until we force them into some form of retaliation. And that's my concern. I think that, that Putin shows too much willingness to accept insults and provocations. And he does that because he wants to normalize the situation so he doesn't respond in kind. 
But at some point, this becomes counterproductive because Washington will simply say, look, it doesn't matter what we do, they take it. And then we'll do too much, and they won't take it. I, my, here's my opinion of Putin. G- give me 20 seconds before you jump in. Um, look, I, I do not believe that Russia represents a threat to world security. If world, I do not for a minute. I think Russia has acted in its own interest, but also in the world's interest in how it supported the Assad government in Syria. So I have a lot of time for Russia for that. But if you ask me, do I believe that Putin has bumped off his enemies? And do I believe that he's a gangster? I mean, financially, I would say yes. I do believe he's had his enemies bumped off. And I do believe that he's a bit of a gangster. But I would then say, but that doesn't make him any different from Biden or even Trump or the Clintons or the Obamas. For me, they're all the same, Paul. Um, That's just my top. And so I, I think back to the Sochi Olympics. I mean, that was money laundering on steroids, what was going on there. And Putin was right in the middle of it. So I I don't give him a pass. I, I don't think he's the nicest guy that ever lived. But he's no threat to world peace at all, I don't believe. And I certainly do not believe that he's putting out anti-vaccine propaganda. Where does the media get this nonsense from? These stories about, you know, people are reluctant to take a vaccine in England and it's because of the Russians, because the Russians are putting stuff on Facebook. I mean, it's nonsense, isn't it? It's so ridiculous, it's almost laughable. It's just part of the demonization of Russia, just like yeah. it was demonization of, of Trump. Um, you know, you have to, you know, what enemies has Putin bumped off? Why should he bother? His enemies have minuscule public support. Look at, look at the elections. Nobody in the West wins elections by the margin that that Putin wins them. There's no effective opposition to Putin in Russia. But that's not good, is it, Paul? That's not a good thing, is it? It is a good thing. It shows he's pleasing the people. They're happy. It's an authoritarian... I'm not going to say regime because you'll kill me. Why is he authoritarian? He's, he's, he's under a rule of law. He, he obeys the law far better than the British Prime Minister or the American President. Yeah. They are the gangsters. You'll get no argument from me there. I agree with you. I think they're all gangsters, but, to be you, honest. You know, you bend over backward to say, oh, well, I have to find something wrong with him. And so you, you, you accept all the bullshit propaganda. No, I don't. Him. No, that's unfair. I do not bend over backwards well, to find something wrong. That's my own off? opinion. That's my opinion. Uh, Paul, I, I, I can't. You're going you're gonna to hammer me now quite rightly. Off the top of my head now, I can't give you names. But a lot of people described by the Russian state as dissidents have disappeared over the years. They have done. And if, 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 if I had to put my last five bucks on, on him being involved, I would bet on him being involved. Look, they have not. They're no, look, Putin has fantastic support because he restored his country's sovereignty. He took the sovereignty back from the Americans. He restored Russia as an independent country. He told the whole world this in 2007. We've had enough. We're an independent country. We don't accept your hegemony. So he has tremendous support of the population. It's such a relief from Yeltsin when the Americans ran the country for him. Yeah, that's true. 
And, and so what is the opposition based on? There's not any public support. And the notion that he's a financial gangster, that is a lie. It's a total lie. Look, we're going to have to, dis- we're going to, have to agree to disagree on that point. Listen, because well, given the opportunity, I could dig stuff up. Hey, listen, I'm going to give you the last word on Putin, because I'm a gentleman, I always do that. You get the last listen, word on Putin. I don't, I don't think you're doing me a service by drawing me into a big defense of Putin. My concern is that this summit will not serve any interest except the interest of the U.S. military security complex. It will serve the FBI, the CIA, the Pentagon. Agreed. And the defense contractors. It will be used to keep uh, NATO going and through NATO to control the foreign policies of all the European governments. Agreed. And this is not in anybody's interest outside of Washington. So that's my concern. And I I think that uh, the media will use this to further blacken Russia. Uh, And... uh, and so the relations will be worse. Well, they're already so bad that people like Stephen Coyne, who uh, watched the situation of the whole original Cold War in the 20th century, thought that we were in far greater danger from the tensions today than we ever were during the Cuban Missile Crisis, for example. Right. So that's my concern. And so I think that uh, it's important to understand the situation and uh, not to uh, demonize or find some uh, way we can say it's all Putin's fault. Oh, no, God, no, and I'll never do that because it isn't Putin's fault. Of course it isn't. I commend Putin for his foreign policy, um, um, his, his, his policies. His domestic, his domestic policy, I don't know too much about it. But in terms of how he sees the world, I commend him for it. The point I was making, and I have to make it, is it's not always black and white with people. But look, I accept your points on that. I wanted to ask you before we run out of time, and before I do that, let me recommend to our listeners, I'm sure you know this already, but go to Paul's website, paulcraigroberts.org. Read Paul, he's a fantastic writer, an exceptional writer with great experience. Read his articles and share them around on social media. And if you enjoy them and if you find them valuable, do support him. It's very important you do that with the independent media. There are not too many people around doing it uh, with, with the quality that Paul is doing it with. Paul, final question. Do you know what? We, we might... It's very important, your article about Putin and, and the summit with Biden, hugely important. I find at the moment, though, that lives are, people's lives, daily lives are becoming unbearable because their governments have basically ripped up civil liberties over a virus that does exist. And, 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 and for some people, it's a nasty thing if they do come down with it. But for the most people, for most people in the world, the virus is nothing to worry about, but it's been seized upon, in my opinion. And we're seeing the UK turn into a totalitarian state. I don't know about the US. That's my... I'm terrified of it, Paul. What do you think? No, well, that's... You're right. Um, the virus has been used for the profits of uh, the big pharma and to uh, erode civil liberties, to give more power in the hands of governments. And that's the main focus of the virus. This whole time, there have been two cures, two certain cures, very low cost, totally safe, 
People have been taking them all over the world for 60 years. Not a single person has ever died from taking these products, and yet they've been banned. They prevent people from being treated in order to maximize the death rate, to maximize the fear, to maximize the profits from the vaccines, and to maximize the power of the government over the people. So yes, it's terrible. It's, it's an absolutely terrible thing. And it shows how easy it is to stampede people with fear. And it's succeeded. It's, it's simply succeeded. People, uh, oh, I'm scared. Let me give up my, let me give up my liberty. Let me say one last thing. Uh, I don't really uh, have, all of my writing is based on facts as I can ascertain them. Yeah. I don't have some kind of an ideological position or political position. You may remember, Richie, what brought us together, I think, those years ago was my uh, attacks on the George W. Bush regime. That's right. Absolutely. I was the first person to really go after him, and I was a Republican. And so uh, everybody said, well, wow, here's a Republican exposing Bush. Well, I didn't do it because I was a Democrat no. or because I didn't like Bush or anything. It was just the facts weren't on his side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I tried to explain things based on what the facts are. Now, what's happened in, in our lifetime, our recent lifetime, is that Facts are being said to be irrelevant. They don't count. Motion, emotion is what That's counts. right, yeah. And so uh, facts get uh, discredited or they get thrown aside. And so I don't have the right emotions. And so this is the source of the, of, of the criticism that I bear. I don't have the right emotions. I'm, I'm fact-based. Well, facts... They are now like mathematics. Facts, this is white supremacy. A fact, oh, you're, you're a white supremacist. You're arguing facts. You know, they say mathematics is white supremacy. So you may have seen how the California school system is de-emphasizing the teaching of math. Yeah, that's right. So you can see the absurdities. Yeah. And so the West is ruled by absurdities. We live in more absurdities every day. And the absurdities foster the development of tyranny. I want to endorse what you said about not having a political ideology. It's very important that people understand that. You write from the heart with the facts as you can glean them, as you can ascertain them. You're absolutely right, you do. That's why I love having you on. Um, it's my job to challenge you, even when I agree with you. That's what I've got to do. But you know, I, you said to me many years ago, and so did an old friend of mine, David Icke, many, many years ago, that the truth stands up to any scrutiny. And it's better when it's challenged anyway, because you can, you know, you can respond in kind. But you're right about this, um, you know, what, what we've come to call the culture wars. I wouldn't like now to have a youngster a child going through the school systems. God only knows what they might be hearing on a day-to-day -day basis, Paul. You know, and I know you've got extended family and grandchildren. So these are things that obviously mean a lot to you. Final word to you, and thanks again for coming back. Uh, you know, I love you. You're welcome on this programme anytime you want to talk about anything. And I won't ask you to defend anybody next time you're on. <laughs> <laughs> so final word to you today, Paul. And uh, as I said, just thanks for coming back. Well, you know, in this country, parents who complain of the critical race theory taught in schools are often fired by the employers for simply complaining about 
how their kids are taught in school. An employer fires them. So this shows that the rot is set in even at the corporate level. You can't, you know, an airline pilot the other day for United Airlines was dismissed because he objected to his daughter being taught at school that she was a racist who hated black people. For objecting to that, American Airlines dismisses him. So you can see, uh, if this isn't tyranny, what is it? It is tyranny. And it doesn't need the, look, Richie, it doesn't need the government. No, to be no. It's, well, corp- it's tyranny from the private sector. Well too. said, well said. My old friend Hayden Hewitt, who ran LiveLeak.com for years, Hayden said time and again to me, it will be the private sector driving these tyrannical policies. And you've said it yourself many times. And they're doing it now in the United States. Paul, thanks for coming on. Um, No doubt you'll be back on in a few weeks' time. Enjoy the rest of your day and um, we'll talk real soon. PaulCraigRoberts.org. Cheers, Paul. Cheers. Cheers, Richie. And bye for now. The great Paul Craig Roberts, former US Assistant Treasury Secretary, live on the Richie Allen Radio Show today, Wednesday, uh, the 2nd of June, 2021. Top man. Right. A couple of comments before uh, we wrap. I'm going to wrap things up today. That's enough today. 90 minutes is enough today. It's bloody warm, is what it is. It's warm outside. It's warm outside. Hi to Tanya Rose. Hi to uh, Charlie. These things that Paul has been talking about, they are actually going on, you know. Uh, in, in his article about the, about the critical race theory being taught in school, he alludes to cases where parents have been dismissed from their jobs because of something that has got nothing to do with their employers. A parent complaining to a school, listen, I don't like what you're speaking. I don't like what you're telling my child. And then it gets out and somebody on social media makes a big deal out of it. I don't have to tell you about cancel culture. My God, I don't have to tell you about it. All right, all right. Good debate about Putin there. Uh, Let me scroll on down there. David says, I understand that Putin studied international law and he's never, um, and he's never bloke it. Love him or loathe him. He's a class act. Streets ahead of any other world leader, uh, says David. Thanks for that, David. Yeah. Yeah. Rehabilitated Bear. These names on Twitter. Don't get me started. What's the problem with dissidents disappearing? He asks. I'm sure this country would have a collective sigh if Owen Jones, David Lammy, Ash Sarker and Femi were never on TV again. Just saying. Yeah, fair enough. All right. Disappeared him off TV. Fair enough. Okay. Hi to Jedi Master. Hi to Darren. How you doing, Darren? Hi to Doreen. How you doing, Doreen? Thanks for your message, by the way. Uh, hi to Williams. William who says, I would say it's more... Oh, Jesus. What is it with Twitter? You're reading a comment and it disappears off the face of your screen. Let me scroll back down to William's comment there. I suppose I better click on it, hadn't I? William says, I would say it's more like an attack on the truth surrounding vaccines with Putin being used as a pawn. Well, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. There are many learned men and women attacking the vaccines and claiming the vaccines are not safe, to put it mildly. It's easier to demonise Russia and blame Russia for that uh, than actually deal 
with those tweets and those messages from those other doctors. I see your point there entirely. Right, we're just about out of time. Uh, tomorrow is Thursday, so of course I will be back with you at 5 o'clock UK time tomorrow, Thursday. Uh, enjoy uh, the rest of your evening, by the way. Uh, what else have I? I have something else to tell I wanted to give a pro. I don't do it often enough. Let me promote the Sunday Morning Melodies programme. So every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, I rock up to the studio with a bag full of musical tunes that I like, that I feel like listening to on Sunday morning. That's what it is. No more, no less. It's got no relation whatsoever to a relationship to this programme. It's just a musical programme. It's a bit of fun. We have a chat on Twitter. And I've really enjoyed it since beginning at this year, 2021. So join me every Sunday at 10 o'clock. The Richie Allen Show, of course, Monday to Thursday at 5 o'clock UK time. It is archived on podomatic.com. Do check it out there. Although your podcast provider will also have The Richie Allen Show. Because that's how it works, whether it's Podbean, iTunes, or Internet Radio, wherever you get your podcasts from, they will have the Richie Allen Radio Show on there as well. Big thanks to Paul Craig Roberts. Thank you, Paul. Check out paulcraigroberts.org. Read his articles. Agree or disagree. Read them. He's experienced. Got a lot to say. And uh, he's often right, I think. So check him out there. Okay. As I said, enjoy the rest of the evening. I hope it's sun E wherever you are. Get out in the sunshine. Bye for me. See you tomorrow. Bye now. Do the